Genesis chapter 49. Jacob, he's on his deathbed. Uh, and Joseph comes to visit him with his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, little guys at the time. Manasseh is the older one, Ephraim is the younger one. And if you remember, it's a custom in their day to give the blessing on the deathbed. The, the patriarch would bless the family and he would bless the firstborn and the rest of the kids. There's a lot of kids, right? We have like 12 or 10, 10 or 11 sons, 12 sons, and then you have Ephraim and Manasseh, two more. And so it's that time. He's old. He's ready to pass away. And he, when, Jacob, uh, when Joseph comes to visit Jacob, he, he's encouraged in his heart. He sits up on his bed, leaning upon his staff. Hebrews speaks of that. And he blesses uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. And the thing is, is that Manasseh was supposed to have the right hand of blessing, which was supposed to be the greater blessing, the hand of strength. And so Joseph, he takes his sons and he positions them in front of his father so that the right hand would be on Manasseh. But what does Jacob do? He does the old switcheroo and he blesses. He takes the right hand puts it on the younger son. And we saw last week that the younger son would receive the greater blessing and truly Ephraim would become the greater tribe of the two. So much so that when Israel would later divide into the northern and southern kingdoms when there was the civil war going on, the northern tribes represented ten tribes. They would it'd be, often be called Israel. It would often be called Ephraim. And so that was a, uh, and that was just a, an, an answer to that blessing that he would be, become a great. And so it says in verse 15 of chapter 48, Then he blessed Joseph, saying, May the God before whom my father is Abraham and Isaac walk faithfully to the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from harm. May he bless these boys, and may they be called by my name and the names of my father Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. And this kind of made Joseph mad. I, I, you know, you're trying to receive a blessing and get mad that it didn't happen the way you wanted. I don't know if you've ever had that before. But uh, he says, no, and he tried to lift his dad's hand and said, no, you got it all wrong. You're, you're, you're kind of too old, dad, and you got it all messed up. He knew exactly what he was doing. Verse 19, I know, my son, I know. He too, the older one, he will become great as well. But nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. We spoke last week about the spiritual principle of the greater is not always the greatest in the kingdom of God, is it? Are we? No. God takes that principle and says the least is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And that's an important principle. Jesus being our chief example as we look to Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, yet he humbled himself to become servant of all. Took the form of man. On the night before he died, what did he do? He washed his disciples' feet and he taught them that this is how you're to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, is to be the servant of all. The King of kings and the Lord of lords bowing on his knees and washing his disciples' feet. And they were, it just revealed so much in their hearts. And so the kingdom is not about being served, it is about serving. And we talked about last week uh, in, I think it was Matthew 25, and Jesus talked about the sheep and the goats and how they were divided. That a practical way that we demonstrate this love this servanthood is by visiting the sick of our brothers and sisters, by helping those of our brothers and sisters who are poor, by helping those who don't have food, who are in jail because of the gospel, 
When we look at it, we're in a land of plenty here, right? We're pretty blessed in this country, but there are brothers and sisters overseas who have nothing. We're in jail this moment. Think of our brother in Iran right now. We need to be praying for him. His family is in Idaho, Boise, Idaho. There are situations where we can be lifting up people and helping, each, uh, helping them practically with the love of God. And Jesus says, when you minister to them, you're doing it to me. And so it's imperative that we submit to the Holy Spirit in these areas of our lives and allow him to lead us to them, to bless those who are persecuted, hungry, and sick, and letting our faith bear the fruit that we were created for. So Jacob blesses his two grandsons that he adopted, by the way, as his own two sons. Now, he didn't take them from him. He just said, you're going to have my name. And so they would pronounce, uh, he's on his deathbed and he's pronouncing these blessings, which were actually prophecies over his children. And so Ephraim and Manasseh were blessed first, even though they were last. And then in chapter 49, which is where we are today, it's a continuation uh, of this as Jacob calls the rest of his sons into the room so that he may prophesy over them, give them blessings, so to speak. And it's not always blessing, as you will see. So chapter 49 Verse 1 says, Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen in the days to come. Jacob, by faith, leaning on his staff on his bed. Right? Leaning on his staff by faith. He's about to prophesy. The Spirit is upon him, and he's speaking. And these are prophecies about Israel, what would happen to the nations of Israel in times to come. And some of them are discernible. Some of them are not. Some of them are mysterious. Some of them are plain. And so we'll dig into him. Verse 2, Jacob is calling the rest of his boys, and he's leaning on his staff. And he says, assemble and listen, sons of Jacob, Jacob, listen to your father Israel. Remember, Jacob has two names, Jacob and Israel. He was Jacob, which means heel catcher. Kind of just signifies his, his normal nature, you know what I'm saying? Who he is by default. And then God gets a hold of his life, and he changes his name to Israel. He goes, no, you're going to be governed by God. And so you see him calling his sons and saying, hey, from me, there's these two things going on. Even if in in my own heart, within you, I see it. Come here, gather around, sons of Jacob, your father Israel. And so you'll see these things played out, that there's two different, uh, there's a spirit in the flesh at work here. In verse 3, he starts with Reuben, his firstborn. And do you have that first slide? There's the 12 tribes right there. It's hard to see, sorry. But uh, he's going to be talking, uh, he's going to divide them up according to mother. Okay, who their mother was. Remember, this is a, this has, there's four different moms here with different kids, and this is why they all got along so splendidly. And so we're going to do Reuben, Simeon, and this is how it's organized right here. It's organized over 20 different ways in the Bible. And I know that you're like, okay, what, what in the world? So that's kind of the order. It's going by mom. So if you're thinking, hey, that's not the oldest. Well, they're going to go by the mother. So I can go back to the scripture now. Verse 3 says, Reuben, hey, you're my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excellence in honor, excellence and power. All right. Cool. That's what I am. Verse 4, turbulent as waters, you will no longer excel. For you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and you defiled it. Reuben was the firstborn, born to Leah. And he was supposed to be Jacob's might. He was supposed to be the sign of Jacob's strength, excelling in power, in honor. You know, he was to be given the double blessing, the firstborn. He had tremendous potential. But Jacob says all these things were compromised 40 years ago. 40 years ago. And it's interesting in Genesis 35, verse 22, way back then, 
there in Shechem, and Jacob had, well, he had buried, not in Shechem, Jacob had buried Rachel and moved to a different area. And Reuben went in, and he slept with his father's concubine, Billa. And it might have been a power play, whatever it was in that culture, I don't know, but it was a sin. It says that Jacob heard about it, but he didn't do anything about it. And so here he is 40 years later. 40 years later, Jacob brings this up about this to his firstborn son. He says, turbulent as waters. That's who you are. You'll no longer excel, for you went up into your father's bed, and on my couch you defiled it. And the lesson here is that sin has consequences, friends. It doesn't just go away. Sin, when we sin, no matter how great, small, how long ago, it will always bring death. That is what God designed it to do. He didn't design it to do, but that's the consequence of the laws of the Lord. That's what happens. You, the soul that sinneth shall die. And it appears that no one saw or no one heard. It probably Reuben thought he got away with it. No one knew. He didn't know I, 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 it happened. I, I got away with it or whatever it might have been. I don't know. We can have that, you know. We can think we didn't get caught. There were no immediate consequences. Don't be fooled. God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. And on the day of judgment, every deed will be laid bare, those secret and those done in plain sight. So, in this life, doesn't it seem that the wicked are doing what they want and as often as they want and it's unrestrained? Doesn't it seem like that in our culture or society? That evil is called good and good is called evil? It's just out of control and it's getting exponential. And Reuben, I'm sure people were looking at him going, how in the world can he get away with this with no consequence in his life? Psalm 37, uh, the psalmist spoke to this effect. He said, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like grass, they will, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. Do this. He will make your righteousness reward your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the new day sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil, for those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Reuben thought he probably got away with it. We might look at a situation and go, hey, he got away with it, but he did not. He would no longer excel. All the potential that he had was hindered by his sin. You know, some of you this morning might, right now might be convicted, and rightly so, by the Holy Spirit because you have ongoing sin in your life that is unchecked, unrestrained, and you think you're getting away with it. The Lord sees through all the facade. He sees right through me. He looks down to the intentions of your heart and you are laid bare before him. That's our God. He calls it like it is. Jesus didn't come on the scene and say, continue as you are, just do better. What did he say? First words out of his mouth, repent. Turn from your sin and turn to the Lord. That is the gospel. Turn to the salvation that is offered you. Or perhaps your mind is wandering to things you thought you had hidden long ago. Things that were buried, things you had done. 
It'll never come up. Here we are 40 years later, friends. Brothers and sisters, if you have that nervousness, that guilt inside, guess who that is? Yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. That's his job is to convict of sin, to pull that up in us so that we'd be freed from it by the only one who can free us from it, Jesus Christ. John, uh, John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Love that all, everybody. If we claim we have not sinned, we have made him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us, and it just continues on to chapter 2, even though there's a break there. It says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. John's speaking in absolutes here. That's kind of the person he is. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Praise God. Amen? Don't travel on Reuben's path one more day. Confess to the Lord. But here's the, here's the, here's the second part. And I think this is the part we like to omit. Confess your faults to one another. Confess your faults to one another. James 5, 13 through 16 says, if anyone, if anyone among you is in trouble, anybody in trouble? Ha, constantly. Let them pray. It says, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Awesome. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess. Because of this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, the ministry of forgiveness and healing comes from God, but it is experienced through the body of Jesus Christ. You know, when King David said, I have sinned, he didn't say, even though he sinned against Bathsheba, he sinned against, you know, the other guy, her husband. He, he said, I sinned against you and you alone. We sinned against God, but God offers forgiveness and healing practically. We experience it through us. We are the body of Christ. I love that. And we are to confess our sins to one another. Not that they heal us, but the Lord heals us through the body. I believe that happens all the time. You see that in Scripture. The Lord can do anything He wants by Himself unilaterally, but He's chosen these times to work through us, has He not? You know, and after church, we, we offer prayer. You know, and I do that because I believe these verses. I believe what God says is true. To provide an opportunity for you to pray. Not that I am some superstar, but guess what? Look to the left and right of you. The ministry, the same Holy Spirit that's in me is in you. The healing that he wants to give can be from the person to the left or the right of you. Pray and ask. See what the Lord would do. Obviously, all within his will, if it's his will that you be healed. He's talking about matters of forgiveness, matters of sin. And this is why it can be the norm that you bug a sister or brother next to you and say, I need prayer, I've messed up, will you pray for me? And you experience the love and the compassion of God through that person, it's pretty cool. 
this should be the norm in our church. It can be the norm. And I think it is. I see it happening often. You guys get together and you start praying. Let it happen. Let it flow. Let the Lord do that in and through us. And we can minister his love and forgiveness. So don't continue to be unstable as water. I'm speaking to myself. But stand upon the rock. Reuben was turbulent as waters. It would no longer excel. It would no longer rule. And you know, there wouldn't be a ruler that would come from the tribe of Reuben. It's pretty sad. They were substandard, reaping mediocrity because of their sin. Simeon, verse 5. Simeon and Levi, they're the brothers. And he says, their swords are weapons of violence. Let, Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung an ox as they please. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. If you remember, Simeon and Levi had a sister, Dinah, age check, who was raped, right? She was raped, and they were ticked, and righteously so. But what they did with their anger was ungodly. They went and wiped out an entire city. They actually deceived them into getting circumcised, and when the men of the city were weak, they went in and killed them all and took their wives. And so, verse 7, it speaks to the anger so fierce, to their fury so cruel, their evil counsel. They tricked them. Anger is a, tough, a touchy subject. Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You know, if there was never a time for those two to be angry, that was then, and I understand that. It was an unjust circumstance. And their plea to their father seemed to fall on deaf ears. They were angry, but what happened is that they allowed their anger to control them. And although one man was guilty, they wiped out the entire city. You know, when we let anger fester, we give the devil a foothold, it says. We give the devil a foothold. A foothold for bitterness. Look at our culture. A foothold for violence. A foothold for all types of problems up to exterminating whole people groups. Ephesians 4 goes on in verse 30. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This is just a few verses later from the verse we read before. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And I think this is a huge area that the Lord is continuing to work in my life. I have been an angry person. Does anybody struggle with anger in here? Okay, a couple. And, and I, the ones you aren't raising your hands, I know you do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know, I, I just look at this. I said, you know, this is the put off, put on passage right here in Ephesians chapter four. We're to get rid of all bitterness, get rid of rage, get rid of anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. And this is an idea of something that is continually dominating. That's the idea of it. These things are pervasive. You know what? We traded in for Christ. His kindness, His compassion, His forgiveness, just as Christ has been with us. We put off these things. It's a choice. And we put on Christ. You know, there's another way. There's victory. The Holy Spirit is faithful to teach me, to teach you. 
uh, what it is to walk in the Spirit and to give up the default that we have from Adam, from our fathers and our father's father. Amen? To get rid of it, to crucify that sucker and to put on the Spirit, to put on Christ. That is a work of grace in our lives. So we don't have to be those people. And we can walk in the Spirit as Jesus walked and desired to walk. And he desires to walk through us, to put off that old man, to put on Christ. And this does not mean we will not get angry. How can we not get angry in an unjust world? But we don't let anger get us. It does not rule us. We don't justify it. We don't go out and slaughter cities and throw things and get angry at whatever it is, right? We crucify that sucker. When it comes up, we submit it to the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord Jesus, take over. What do you want to do in this circumstance? So this is an area I believe the Lord wants to work continually in my life and in yours. And so, in our anger, we do not sin. sin. We submit our emotions to the Lord. See me and leave I did not. Because their unchecked hot fury, because of this, the Spirit said through Jacob, I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Notice two things there, Israel and Jacob. I will scatter them in Jacob and I will disperse them in Israel. And that's exactly what happened. Simeon was scattered. They were scattered. They became totally uh, irrelevant. Is there the land of Simeon in in your Bible? I don't see it. They just became insignificant. And that's what can happen when we let things dominate us like that. Levi was also scattered, but was within Israel. See that? And their history shows the grace and the mercy of God to redeem this people, the Levites, who became what? The Levites. Do you remember what happened? Moses came down from the mountain. Everybody's worshiping the golden calf. Remember Charles and Heston was there. The whole thing was going on. Aaron, oh, it just popped out of the fire. I don't know how it happened, right? What happened? God, Moses drew a line and said, who is with me? And the Levites, they came over and they stood on his side. And what did they do? Then they, he was, Moses commanded them to go kill his brothers and sisters who had decided to side with the flesh. I, can't, I haven't quite figured it out yet, but there's a play there. The very thing that they were in trouble for doing before in the flesh, they were commissioned to do in the spirit. Really weird. And that's the very thing that redeemed them. And by the way, they were exempt from war from then on. And they became the priests. And they were scattered throughout the cities. In other words, they had cities within all the, all the tribes and nations, but they were not to go to war. God had given them inheritance. They scattered them. And isn't that what God does with us? The things we do for the, in the flesh, in the world, God will take those things, those talents, those gifts, those blessings, and use them for his kingdom. And I know we're not slaughtering cities for his kingdom, but you know what I'm talking about, Right? And he takes us and makes us a people who are a kingdom of priests, ministers of Jesus Christ, represented. We're scattered throughout the world. You're scattered throughout Walla Walla to go be that preserving presence, to go minister in his name. What grace. How in the world, God, could you take sinners and do something with that? And so let us not be the people who are scattered and, and become insignificant, but let us be the ones who are scattered, that are preserving agents, that salt and light that shines and goes everywhere. Amen? Simeon and Levi, what a great picture of the flesh and the spirit and, and the grace of God. 
And so, verse 18, and now Judah, this is the cool one. Don't worry, we're getting there, friends. Judah, your brother will praise you. What does Judah mean? Praise. You know, praise the Lord, basically, is what it means. Your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until uh, to whom it belongs, otherwise translated Shiloh, shall come. And the obedient of the nation shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choice branch, and he will gnash... Uh, sorry, he will wash his garments with wine, his robes in the blood of grapes, and his eyes will be darker than wine, or red as wine, red with wine, sparkly, fiery, and his teeth whiter than milk. You can read this, but I can't help but seeing Jesus the Messiah there, can you? I mean, just like, it's, a, it's all over the place. You know, and your brothers will praise you. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. The tribe of praise, that is, that is his lineage here. And so that's why this is the longest of all the blessings uh, to these sons. The Holy Spirit is showing, uh, it, this is Genesis, the book of genealogies, and, and, and the Holy Spirit is showing the creation of man and then the creation of a nation. It's going to narrow it down to the person, the creator, Jesus Christ, coming through all these tribes. And as we've been going along, we see the story of the seed, singular. Remember the seed, the promise of the seed in your seed. And it starts in Genesis 3.15 where, where it said, And I will put my uh, enmity between you, Satan, and, and the seed of the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It began with Adam. Then it went to Seth, then to Noah, then to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now we see it going to Judah. There's a lot more in between. You can read about that in Luke chapter 3. But that seed that crushes, that crushed, past tense for us, uh, the serpent's head is the Messiah, Jesus. And it's talking about Shiloh is another name for him. And they translate it, the Bible translators are having, a tr- having trouble figuring out, well, do, I, do we just leave it as Shiloh? How many of you have Shiloh in your, in, your, in your scriptures? Okay, cool. And then the NIV will have actually what Shiloh means. So they're trying to figure out, because there's a significance on that word. So the translators are trying to say, well, do we just say Shiloh and no one gets it? Or do we actually say what it means? And then you get the significance. So that's kind of what's going on. You'll see a little footnote, bottom says Shiloh. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your, your father's sons will bow down to you. The Lord Jesus has all authority over his enemies and made a spectacle of them at the cross and he's going to crush Satan under his feet after his thousand year reign, amen? You're a lion's cub, Judah. You, you return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. We look at Jesus as a sheep, and he was the sheep that was slaughtered, but he is also the lion of Judah, and no one dares mess with him. One day he will tear his enemies to shreds. That is what he will do. Revelation 5, then I saw the the right hand of him who sat at the throne, the scroll with writing on both sides, and the the seven seals, there's a scroll. Then I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one on heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. They couldn't even touch it. I wept and I wept, John was saying, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. 
See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus is the lion of Judah. He conquers all. He alone is worthy. In verse 10, one of the most fascinating passages in Scripture, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs, that's Shiloh, shall come from the obedience uh, shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. The serpent, uh, sorry, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. This means that there will be a king on the throne in Israel until the Messiah comes. It's interesting. This prophecy took 640 years to fulfill in part. It began with the reign of King David, who is the first of Judah's dynasty of kings. And then the prophecy took another 1,600 years or it took 1,600 years in total to completely fulfill in Jesus. Jesus is referred to as Shiloh, the name meaning he's who, whose right it is. And this is speaking of the Messiah. And so from David until the Herods, remember King Herod, the prince, the prince of Judah was always head over Israel, even in Daniel's captivity. The promise was that Israel would keep this scepter until Shiloh comes. Even under the foreign masters during this period, Israel had a limited right to self-rule until A.D. 7. And at that time, under Herod, the Romans, and, and the Romans, their right to capital punishment, a small but remaining element of their self-governance, was taken away. You can read about that in Josephus and his works, his various works. But at that time, the rabbis, they got so upset they were broken apart. The rabbis of the day, they were broken apart. They went on the street weeping because they thought the word of God was broken. They thought it was all messed up. They th- the God has, he's failed us. There's no, there's, there's no longer anyone ruling. They've taken away our authority. We have nothing. And remember, they could not kill Jesus without going to the Romans. Remember, that was because that guy had been taken away. Although they like to stone people all the time. I don't get that. But officially... And little did they know that there was a little boy not too far away in Nazareth. Shiloh had come. And soon he'd be in that temple confounding the priests. And a few years later, he would die on the cross. And the obedience of the nation shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. This was a way of saying that his rule when the, th- the things are going to be that are so rare will be so common in his rule. That's why we look at the kingdom and we see the most beautiful things. The streets are paved with what in, in the New Jerusalem? With gold. Things that are so important to us are asphalt. That's how good his reign is going to be. But it says, He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, red with wine, flashing, brilliant is what it is, like fire. His teeth, whiter than my shirt, Better than milk. Revelation 19.11. The world's 9.11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes were like blazing fire, and on his head were many crowns. And his, on his, I'm sorry, he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself, and he dr- he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine li- linen and white and clean. That's us. And coming out of his mouth, a sharp sword 
which, which to strike down the nations, he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of his fury, the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's Judah. That's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen? Wow, what a prophecy. And that's why it's the longest, because it was through Judah that the Messiah would come. And so now Jacob's skipping the birth order. We're going to bust through these real quickly. Zebulun. He's, he will live by the seashore, verse 13, and become a haven for ships. His border with extent towards uh, Sidon. And that's exactly what happened. They, they set the land between Galilee on the east and the Mediterranean on the west, and they were a haven for ships. Issachar, verse 14, is a raw-boned donkey lying down among the sheep pens. Thanks, Dad. When he saw how good, it, <laughs> good is his resting place and how pleasant his hand is, he will bend his shoulder uh, to the burden and submit to forced labor. And this is what happened. Issachar was the lar- third largest tribe in Numbers 26. You can read about that. Um, but he was strong and docile. And, and I think he, was, he enjoyed the good land, but there was, there were, there was constant wars for his land. He became a, a donkey, a burdened with labor. They, they overtook him quickly, that tribe. <coughs> Verse 16, Dan. Dan will provide justice for his people. Dan means judge. For his people as one of the tribes of Israel. And Dan will be a snake by the roadside or viper along the path that bites the horse's heels so that the rider trembles backwards. And again, Dan means judge. And they did provide judges. Remember one of the most prominent judges from the tribe of Dan was Samson. Wonderful. Dan was a troubled tribe. He was the first to introduce idolatry into Israel. They, they, they identified, they brought idolatry into the land of Israel. You can read about that in Judges 18, 13, 1830. And this could be very well the reference of the snake, that they turned Israel away from the Lord. They were the first to bring Israel into idolatry. They're that snake in the path. Others think that's a reference to the Messiah. But what I find interesting is that you get into Revelation chapter 7, which we'll get at the end. But Revelation chapter 7, there's a... Um, Dan is missing. He's gone. He's not listed in the tribes. He's all the other times he's listed in the tribes. He's not listed there in Revelation chapter 7. But in Ezekiel's, I think it's Ezekiel 35 or no, Ezekiel 48, which is the roll call for the millennial kingdom, Dan's there and he's listed first. So something interesting happens. Uh, but a work of redemption, perhaps just like Samson, Dan was led by the flesh. But in the end, when he stretched out his hands so that the enemies would, of God wouldn't go forward, uh, maybe God did a great work through Dan. But we'll see. We don't know. Verse 18, I look for your deliverance, O Lord. So after this thing, we, we have seven of the tribes are listed. We're almost there. Seven of the tribes are listed. And then we get to verse 18. Some put that in there with everything with Dan, but I just see it as itself. I look for your deliverance, O Lord. It's kind of like after the first seven guys, he's like, oh, God, please help us. I look for your deliverance. Please, God. You know? The word for deliverance or salvation here, it's, it's, it's salvation in your older translations, deliverance in your newer ones, is Hebrew for Yeshua. Yeshua is Joshua. Joshua, if you prefer the Greek, is Jesus. pretty cool. I look for a commentary on why it's placed there after the seventh son was mentioned. 
I haven't found anything, but I find it neat that the seven tribes are mentioned, and then Jacob knowingly or no, or doesn't not unknowingly calls out for Jesus. A lot of sevens in Scripture. Pretty interesting. This one's very hidden, but now the rest of the boys. Verse 19, Gad will be attacked by the band of raiders, but he will attack them at their heels, and this is exactly what happened. He was in the east, out there in Jordan, and he was attacked a lot, and they also were very warlike people. Remember uh, in... First Chronicles chapter 12, when uh, we had this group of Gadites who went and helped David, it said that their faces were like faces of lions, and they were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. Wouldn't you like to have those guys fighting with you? Faces like lions, and they were swift as gazelles. I mean, freaky good warriors. And so uh, Elijah was from that tribe. Verse 20, Asher's food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. They set along the northern coast of Canaan. They had fertile ground. Apparently the land... Uh, eventually occupied by Asher was good enough to bring not only necessaries but luxuries. Anna the prophetess from Luke 2 was from this tribe. Verse 21, we're almost there, yay. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fonts or beautiful words. How many of your translations say words? Okay, some of you say fonts. They're trying to figure out what that means. Beautiful words. It's interesting in Matthew chapter 4 verses 12 Uh, through 16, it says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth, and went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus's main ministry would happen, the beautiful words that would be spoken in that area. It's just interesting how the Holy Spirit ties these things together. Chapter, uh, verse 22, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. Joseph was fruitful. This kind of a play on words. Remember his son's name, Ephraim, means fruitful. Verse, 20, uh, verse 23, with bitterness, archers attacked him. They, they shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed limber because of the hand of the Almighty One of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of Uh, your father's God who helps you because of the Almighty who blessed you with the blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of of the breast and womb. And so, though he was attacked, God's hand was still upon Joseph, making him prosper. And God is called the Mighty One, the Shepherd, the Rock of Israel, your father's God and the Almighty, obviously the source of blessings. Verse 26, your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains. In the bounty of the age-old hills, let all the rest, uh, all all these rest on the head of Joseph and on the brow of the prince among his brothers. And that's what the Lord had called Joseph to be—a prince. And that is what happened. And this is a real beautiful picture of Christ, isn't it? They shot at him, but the Lord was with him, and he overcame. Now Joseph's brother, finally Benjamin, verse twenty-seven. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours his prey, in the evening he divides the plunder. And so Benjamin would go on to work on Wall Street. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, they were a fierce people. Ehud, King Saul, even Paul. These were very crazy, very devout, zealous type people. They devoured their prey. Paul was very zealous, remember that. They were cruel as a tribe. Just read Judges 19 and 20. Just some hard passages to read where they, you know, cut up bodies and send it all over the nation and stuff. It's pretty nasty. They had left-handed slingers. Remember that? Yeah. So anyways, they were a ravenous wolf. And let's finish it off. Verse 28. 
through 33, and all these were the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when they blessed them, giving each of the blessing appropriate to him. And then he gave them these instructions. I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave and in the field of Ephron in the, uh, the Hittite. The cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in the Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. <clears throat> Verse 31, Then Abraham, there Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried, there Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. Verse 33, When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew up his feet into his bed, uh, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. And so, what a, what a life. The 12 tribes, pretty interesting, the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel. If you can go to the first slide. And so, there's Leah, there's Billah, Zillah, uh, uh, Zilpha, and, and Rachel. And so, they have names of all the kids. And like I said, how many of you, like when you get to these things where they're listed in certain orders, just your eyes glaze over? It was difficult, wasn't it, this morning? Kind of, not, you know, there's some things that were there, but it's hard, right? The Lord has a purpose, and I want you to, to encourage you to dig deep when you see things. It's listed 20 different ways in the scriptures. And remember I mentioned that in Revelation chapter 7, Dan was missing, and he wasn't there for some weird reason. Uh, but flip over reverently. These are what the names of the of the things mean. And if you take it from Scripture and you just kind of read it through. And by the way, these this is in a weird order. Judah's first. We know why Judah's first. But why are all these other ones in different orders? Who knows? You have the first Judah and the last. I mean, who knows? But look what it says. As their names, what they mean. Praise the Lord. He has looked on my affliction and granted good fortune. Happy am I. My wrestling has made me forget my sorrow. God hears me, has joined me, purchased me, and exalted me by adding me to the son by adding to me the son of his right hand. God is so cool. I mean, he is so awesome. How he loves. How he layers upon layers of scripture. I mean, how deep do we want to go? If you want this, I can give it to you. It's by Chuck Missler. God is so good. You know these guys were turkeys. A lot of them were turkeys. How many of us are turkeys? And what is God doing through this church? What is God doing? How faithful he is. And how we should praise his name every day and thank him for his grace and his goodness. That he's called a band of brothers and sisters together to worship him in this place. Amen? Forgiven, redeemed, filled with the Spirit. A kingdom of priests. Yeah, well, that's fine. He's also empowering us. I love that. And so, brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you this week to dig into the Scriptures and allow the Lord to speak to you. And just remember that all these things, when you read the Old Testament, and even these things, who do they point to? They point to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. All to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you that Jesus is why we are here. He is our salvation, and we call out to you like Jacob did on his bed. Oh, pray for the deliverance of the Lord. And Lord, we long for that day when our faith shall become sight. 
We long for that day. But until then, God, help us to walk by faith through this life. And whatever the world throws at us, whatever plans happen, however our bodies react, Lord, help our hearts to be in heaven. Help our minds to be in heaven. Help our treasures to be in heaven. And will you guide us? Will you lead us? Will you deliver us? And Lord, we are definitely like Jacob. But Lord, you're making us like Israel. And we thank you that you've called us to a glorious calling, to walk as your son Jesus walked. And this is not accomplished by my power, but by your grace and by your love in our lives. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this church. Bless them as they go, this gathering as they disperse into the community as they're scattered this week. Keep them from the evil one, protect them, and give them the words of life that they would be salt and light to a community that needs you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.